and welcome back to the Subconscious Mind Mastery Podcast. Thomas Miller back with you, and we're going to roll right on into part two with Jill Thomas, hypnotherapist from the San Diego area. We cover in this one a plethora of topics, past life, past life regressions, fears, and phobias, something that a lot of people go to hypnotherapists to resolve fears. What about relationships? And then a very interesting conversation about teens and kids. When would you consider taking your kids to a hypnotherapist? And then, of course, as she said, we've got to talk about the big marquee issues, smoking and weight loss. So if you'd like to look at her website, it is soulconnecthypnotherapy.com. And we started part two talking about past lives and soul regressions. Past life regression therapy is one of the most fun and one of the most therapeutic things you can do. But I will tell you, um, a lot of times there's plenty of material in this lifetime to work on first before we start looking, digging around in the past life. So before people call and want to book one of those right away, you know, a lot of times there's plenty of stuff to do on this level first, and then we go back. But absolutely, there's definitely things from a past life you know, you could have been incredibly poor, a level of poverty that we don't really see in this country anymore. You could have been incredibly poor in a past life and created beliefs and fear around starving to death that you brought with you into this lifetime. I've seen that many, many times. And I've seen this play out where, particularly with relationships, and you mentioned that you had two ex two ex-wives, very likely or most likely, these are people you had connections with in a past life and maybe it worked out, maybe it didn't. But that may have been why that was initially, you were initially drawn to somebody who may or may not have been a good match at that point in your life. And because you you recognize them on a soul level. Oh my gosh, this feels, I feel like I've known this person for a million years. Well, you probably had. And so sometimes we think, oh my gosh, I know this person, it's a familiar soul. And we rush off and marry them without really taking a a good long time to figure out if this is a good match in this lifetime or not. Here's something about the subconscious, and I'd love your take on this. The subconscious, when I did my own analysis and looked back and connected so many things that I saw had happened that I really didn't put a finger on. I mean, it unfolded without me having to touch it or affect it. It found a way. That's when I locked on to subconscious. This is, there's something steering us that is definitely below our conscious mind. So there's something, there's a theory, and Michelle Mache actually did a lot of research on this and has talked about it quite a bit in her writings, but about the original belief that we may have created about ourselves that that's kind of running the show. And it's usually just a few words and it starts usually between the age of, of zero and two. And typically that original belief is I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy or I am not going to be loved. And you'd be surprised at how much that original belief may actually cause you to take one decision after another, after another, and go along the whole chain based on this one belief that I I won't be worthy or I'm not worthy or I can't have. What are some of the biggest issues that you see? I know that, you know, the big things, right? Love, relationship, career, what else? Fears and phobias are a big one because you would not believe how much a fear can limit your life. Let's say you're a big successful person. You've written a lot of books. And you need to get on a plane. You need to fly places. You'd be surprised how many semi-famous, I've worked with you know some celebrities, 
how many semi-famous people are afraid of getting in a plane? That's crazy. That is a belief that really holds you back. And the thing is about, about fears, and people don't realize this, is that they're a little bit like an infection. It can spread. So it starts off as, it usually doesn't start off as fear of, dri- of flying, by the way. It'll usually start off as fear of driving on the freeway or fear of crowded spaces. And then it's fear of, of uh, being in public with a lot of people around. And then now you're afraid to get on a plane because you're afraid of losing control. Because if, you, if you're on a plane, somebody else's control, you can't do anything. You can't even go to the bathroom unless they say it's okay. So these fears are, are issues I see a lot of. That's probably the biggest thing that holds people back. Um, choosing the wrong partner in life, I think a lot of people make, you know, really, I, I hate to be this person to say this, but I really don't think anybody should be getting married below the age of 25. I, just, 35. Okay, 35. <laughs> Let's go 35. But absolutely no on 25. There's, I agree. It's, it's an instant divorce. It's not going to work out. I agree. Don't do and it. Don't do it. I mean, just you're just such a different person. 26 on. Um, choosing a wrong partner and staying with them. I hate to say this, but the world does not need more martyrs. If you are in a miserable relationship and you're not satisfied and you're not happy, there is someone else out there for you. And they're they're looking for you too. And if you stay married to a bad partner and a bad relationship, you're holding that spot or you're keeping somebody in a spot where they really shouldn't be. Now, I understand people stay when they have young kids. You know, you make the decisions that you need to make, but the world does not need any more martyrs. And I, I'm sorry, but I do not believe there's any prizes for sticking out a miserable marriage for 60 years. I don't think anybody in heaven is going to say, yeah, you get a certificate for that. You get you get to sit at the good table and there's this executive wing you get to sleep in because you did that. I don't think that happens. I really don't. When do you begin working with kids when is it when is the time to start looking at hypnotherapy as a way to like okay so a parent might have been unconscious while the kids were younger now the kid is eight nine ten and the parent has listened to this podcast and they found other material and they're waking up and they go oh i want to do something about this before it's too late i would say you want to let some of it start to manifest just a little bit so the kid will have something to talk to the therapist about um i would say maybe 13 i love working with and you, I don't know if you have, you have boys or girls. I have one of each. Okay, you got one of each. I see a lot of teenage girls with eating disorders. And if you start to see a girl developing eating disorders, that is one of the quickest, one of the quicker fixes. You want to get them into a hypnotherapist because that that can be so easily resolved with hypnotherapy. Um, especially if you have a daughter who's a little bit overweight, feeling, you know, feeling good about themselves, feeling confident about themselves. That's a great time to start looking at that. I see a lot of kids who are having problems with sports. I see a lot of kids who have problems with study habits. Uh, I would say 13 on is a good age. Below that, it's hard to get them to focus for too long. The shorter, those sessions are usually shorter because quite frankly, teenagers just don't have as much baggage as we do. So there's not as much to talk about. It's true. But but they can absolutely start healing at a very young age. And I, I do love working with teens because we're just nipping in the bud something really ugly that's going to happen later on. Um, when, with the issue of money, though, you got to wait till that manifests a little bit because until the kid starts getting a paycheck, they don't have a real concept of where where their money triggering is going to lie. That's true, and and there are signs early that maybe this is going to be an issue. So yeah, you know, there again is just the awareness, the consciousness, the waking up to this that when these things first start to show up, then you can go to work on them, right, and start to dig them out. I think that's a great time. I also think maybe letting the child be aware that there is more to it than just what they're feeling. So for example, a kid may have an impulse. I want this. I want to do that. I want to eat the candy bar, whatever it is. 
you letting them know that that impulse isn't coming from anything real. It's coming from their mind. Same thing with teenage love. Oh my goodness, these poor girls. It's so tough. Well, girls and boys, that is a tough age. The emotion, that overwhelming feeling that you love this person and they're the greatest person in the world, that's all in your head. It's based on some evidence that's outside of your yourself, but you have to begin to let your kids know that, that sometimes their feelings are not as real as they think they are. Oh boy. If I could, again, I just go back and that's one of the reasons I really want to reach young parents and young people with this material is because, oh, if I could have gone back and rewound. And you know what? That wasn't my path. So I'm okay with that. It's not that it's, I'm just being with that there are so many opportunities when we're young, because then if you start to work with this, you can have decades on your side to be living powerfully and consciously. I love that. I love that idea. And I, because I think there's just so much unconscious training that these girls, particularly girls are getting about what their place is within society. That's changing. It's beautiful to watch that. But when you take a kid to a hypnotherapist to help shift their confidence and their self-esteem, we kind of unravel that training that they get and also bring awareness to it. So when you're telling your, your daughters, those of you that have daughters, that when the teacher's not calling on you or they seem to be calling on the boys more than the girls, you have to be aware that that is programming the teacher received. It's not personal. It's not your fault. When you're being treated like less than, it's because of the conditioning or the socialization that the person who did that behavior received, not any dig at you. And bringing that awareness, I think, is very empowering for a young person to see. It isn't really about them most of the time. It's about somebody else and somebody else's wounding. See, this is what's so beautiful about this, is once you start to get to the bottom of this, you can just so empower your life. It's amazing. Love it. I love it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I just made a note here. What about smoking and weight loss? I know those are two big ones that end up people those think are that the hypnotherapy. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> Everybody's been to a hypnotherapist for smoking. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, that one is such an easy fix. Smoking, for anyone listening who's still smoking, hypnotherapy will knock it out in just a couple of sessions. Please try it. It's way better than the gum. Just give it a shot. Um, Weight loss is much more complicated because there's a lot more to weight loss. Weight loss is never a one and done. I don't care what anybody says. That is a very complex issue involving self-esteem, involving uh, reasons why you might want to hold on to weight. You'd be stunned and, and, I mean, shocked to know what the statistics of women who've been sexually violated, what those numbers really are. Oh, gosh. And I see them in my office, and I would say that is the number one reason that people hold on to weight. Because it's if you think about it, it's a physical barrier between you and the outside. So if you were sexually assaulted when you were 16, which I, I'm shocked, and I wish I couldn't, I wish I didn't have to say this, but it happens a shocking amount of times. If you if this happened to you when you were 16, you may have created this belief that you were you were dressed inappropriately. Or if I just put on some extra pounds and suddenly I feel less attractive, then this is never going to happen again. It's like shutting the barn door after the horse is left. But people put on these extra layers as a protection or also as a, a way of being less attractive or sort of preventing the situation. And also the food is comforting. But weight loss is a very complex issue. It is never one and done. There's usually a lot more to it. But also what I love about weight loss and having people come in for that is because healing that one issue, weight gain is really a symptom of a problem. It is not a problem. It's not a problem. I don't care what anybody says. It's not a problem. It's a symptom. If you go into the original cause of why you're overeating or you're feeding your body more food than it needs, 
you will find all kinds of, usually a lot of fertilizer back there, of things that need to be cleaned out. The closet of old beliefs, the closet of old trauma, all of the things you never looked at before, all of that starts to get worked out when you work on the weight loss issue because the weight is the manifestation of that problem. Do you see these as permanent solutions? Absolutely. Absolutely. There Now, with weight loss in particular, more so than, than smoking, there is a physiological aspect to it. You, you really can't get past sugar cravings if you don't stop eating sugar. There's <laughs> just no way around it. You can't eat Skittles and not crave more Skittles. There's no way around that. There's a really good way to quit smoking. Quit putting yeah. the damn things in your mouth and lighting them. Yes. <laughs> that but, would do it. <laughs> but, you, but the thing is, you have to think about it, that smoking is serving a purpose in your life. Oh, uh, yeah. So oh, yeah. particularly for somebody who's got a really stressful job, once an hour or once every two hours, they get to step outside with their friends usually, by the way. Right. And take 10 minutes to talk, take a break. This is something their body already needs anyway. Their mind needs it. And now they have this excuse. Now, if you're not a smoker and you go to your boss and say, hey, I need 10 minutes to go outside and just be alone or else, else I'm going to go postal. <laughs> Most of the time, you're not going to get it. But this smoking is this great excuse. It's also bonding. Um, if you're hanging out with your friends and you're in the backyard and everybody's being quiet you don't have to actually be talking. You can be smoking. But what people don't realize is that it's the bonding that you're enjoying, not that cigarette. Cigarette's just a, just a thing. Right. But it, it isn't just put the cigarette down. I mean, yes, do that. Please do that. <laughs> it's, it's understanding why you're doing it in the first place and what you can get out of it. Now, with smoking, there's obviously a physiological aspect to it. So when you're smoking alone, but even that can be just, this is how I respond to stress. I grab a cigarette. If you could instead reach for water or go for a walk, then that would be a much healthier behavior. Okay. You're talking about two underlying issues. Smoking mm-hmm. is nicotine. That's addictive. Weight loss, sugar is addictive. So how do you deal with that our body has chemically gotten addicted to a substance? That is a tougher issue. Um, but I definitely put it, I do. I love what you said about the neuroplasticity. We actually go into the, have the person imagine this go into the unconscious mind and imagine that the pathway leading to the pleasure center that that you get whenever you have a Skittle. I love Skittles, so I'm just using that as an example. But we imagine that pathway dissolving and going away. And instead of wanting that item, which is not healthy for you, you're instead are going to want a glass of water. So it's like redirecting, redirecting. Okay, thank you for telling me you would like to have this pleasurable thing. But we get great pleasure from water with a little bit of lemon. And isn't that nice? Let's try that instead. So in deep trance, you can do that and that will help, but you are still going to, you, especially sugar, you're talking about, well, I guess they both are highly addictive substance here, way more addictive than I think we've been led to believe. You're going to have to do some conscious level work of getting, getting it out of the house, having plenty of nice things that are not sugar to grab whenever you're, you're craving it. Well, yeah, I'm thinking of the Bob Newhart video, right? <laughs> Stop I it! <laughs> right? I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. But I'll, oh, the Bob I'm Newhart. Sure oh, the Bob Newhart Stop It video. It's <laughs> on. Uh, it's on YouTube. So he's wow. he's a counselor, and a lady mm-hmm. comes in, and she's afraid of being buried in a box. And he says, "Okay, I'm I'm going to give you two words." Uh, she says, "Oh, should I write them down?" <laughs> he says, "Well, <laughs> we we find that most people can uh, can remember them." Are you ready? The two words are stop it. That's awesome. I'm going to watch that video as soon as we stop get it. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's you know, by the way, that would be considered 
is a that's actually a pattern interrupt. That's I, I don't usually use those words. Stop it. But I will have somebody if they're when they're using when they're going to fear. So so the habit really has four parts to it. A habit is that there's a trigger, which is um, I'll go back to the spider because that's probably the easiest one. You see a spider, and then the response is the fear. I feel the fear, and then there's a payoff. The payoff is I get to run and be away and be alone for a few minutes. But then there's the regret. Oh, I didn't see grandma because I was afraid to be in her house because she has some spiders in it. So if you, at any point you can, it's really difficult to get rid of the trigger. Actually, Alcoholics Anonymous did a lot of research on this. And thank you for that, for doing that for us. So we understand habit, the habit of alcoholism a lot better because of them, quite frankly. But we can't get rid of the trigger. But we can change that behavior. Instead of seeing this thing and, and feeling fear, I might insert the idea of stop it. <laughs> instead think about how happy you are and feeling good and feeling excited and getting to go see grandma and that payoff of being able to connect with other people and having your world be bigger because you've let go of that fear now that becomes the payoff you know if i were a hypnotherapist i would have a practice like jill's <laughs> so what i'm saying is go see jill if you're interested in hypnotherapy why because she speaks exactly the same language that i do i mean it's like it's scary. It's a clone. She has, on her own, found the same things that I found on my own. So there you go. If you would like somebody who just breathes the same air, check out Jill Thomas. And Jill, once again, how do we get a hold of you? Oh, yes. SoulConnectHypnotherapy.com Has a great website and does sessions all the time online. In fact, a hypnotherapy session can sometimes be even better online because there's a bit of detachment there, and Jill can tell you about that as well. Again, soulconnecthypnotherapy.com. Thank you so much for listening to this one. Enjoy the journey. The opinions on this podcast are those of the host based on personal experience only and are not intended as medical or psychological advice. If you are experiencing symptoms that require professional treatment, please contact a licensed medical practitioner. The stories and opinions expressed on this podcast are independently those of the host and guests and are not intended to be taken as medical advice or to replace medical care from a licensed professional when appropriate.